And uh, my goal this morning is to get through the introduction, so verse 4 to 9. So we're going to get on our horses and we're going to go, all right? Verse number 1, if you will, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the will of God and Sosthenes our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Now we got all the way down through verse number 3. And again, the language in verse 3, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that wonderful dispensational significance to the way that God views the world now. We were just discussing Acts 7. In Acts 7, when Stephen sees the Lord standing, the indication in the prophetic scriptures, and especially like in Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 3, when he stands, it's time to pour out wrath and war and judgment, Revelation 19. But yet instead, Acts 9, he poured out long-suffering, mercy, grace, and peace. And that's a tremendous, uh, <clears throat> tremendous thing to come to understand how God views and then deals with humanity today in the age of grace. And uh, he's not angry, yet religion teaches us that he is angry at you. He's not, going, he's not trying to get even, yet what? Religion teaches us he's getting even with you at every turn. Rather, he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings, and he's made us complete in Christ. Now, in verse 4, 4 to 7, Paul is going to focus in on so what God is doing in and through the Corinthians, verse 4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye, in, uh, ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And again, what Paul's going to do here now in verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, and, and 8, if you will, he, he's going to say some things here that we're going to later dive in in great detail, okay? Here's just the introduction. Here he's going to begin to focus in on the, the, issue at, the, the, the issue that God is going to accomplish in and through the Corinthians, even though they are in very carnality, very, their, their, their behavior is just horrible. It's, abhor, it's abhorrent. And even though they are in such bad behavior, God is still going to use them to accomplish some things. So Paul is going to literally take the, here, especially when we get down at the end of verse 7 and 8 and 9, he's going to take the introduction and he's going to shine a light in on where he's headed with it and what he's, the goal here is, okay? And that even, he, we, so we get this, look into even though the Corinthians, the condition at Corinth is so bad, but now look at what God is still able to accomplish in, in them regardless of their behavior. And that will be down there in verse 9, God is faithful. And we'll see that as we go. So verse 4, I thank my God always on your behalf. Now, if you think about that, if Paul is thanking God on their behalf, then what are the Corinthians not doing? Thanking God. Okay? Verse 5. <laughs> See, real brilliant stuff here. All right? Paul, again, he's dealing with babes in Christ, their carnality, and yet if you think about it, they should be thankful to God for what he's doing in, in their midst and what he has given them to do even though their carnality is so bad, their immorality is so bad, and yet 
Paul stops here and he says, I thank God on your behalf. And Paul is going to rebuke them. Paul's going to lay the boom on them, if you will. Here comes the boom, you know. He's going to get them. But he's doing it in, in such a manner that they're, here in the introduction, it, it's kind of, he's like, when I had to discipline the kids, you know, you always have that pre-conversation before the belt of this is hurting me more than you and I really don't want to do that, you know, that kind of, that's kind of what Paul's doing here. I'm going to nail you, but before that, I'm going to thank God on your behalf. And I'm going to look at this here. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. So I'm going to thank God on behalf of what God's going to do here. And I'm just thankful for the grace of God. Because <laughs> here comes the boom, if you will. All right? If you come back to Romans 1... Just again, just kind of remind ourselves of how Paul normally talks about the audience of the book. Verse 8, Romans 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Why? That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. See, Paul is thankful for them, and he's thankful for the Roman believers here because they are faithful. And then their faith is heard throughout the whole world. Not only are they faithful to the doctrine, but they're faithful in getting the word out, the communication out. That's not the case in 1 Corinthians 1.4. Come over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He's thanking them for what their faithful saints. He's thanking God for their faithfulness and then their fellowship. If you come over to Colossians 1, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Again, he's thankful for them for their faith, for their love, for their hope, all of that. But when you come into 1 Corinthians 1.4, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm having to thank God on your behalf. You guys are so unthankful here. They're going to be on, and they've, they've, they, and again, you have to remember, 1 Corinthians is the second letter he's written them. He's written them once, it's not scripture, and now he's, they've already begun to be unthankful. They've already begun to doubt Paul's apostleship, attack him, demand a, 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 an evidence of God and Christ speaking in him, and they've begun to move away from Paul. And when you move away from Paul, you move away from Christ. And when you move away from Christ, you move away from the grace of God. And when you begin to move away from Paul and Christ and the grace of God, the result is, is you move into carnality. You move into what he's going to start in verse 10 and work down through the issue of human wisdom. You move away from God's wisdom into human wisdom. And the result of all that is being unthankful. And that's where the Corinthians are. And in verse 4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. They're being unthankful about some things, and we're going to see it as we go down. But then Paul says, for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Now, this grace is something very specific. This grace is not the grace in verse 3. The grace in verse 3 is a dispensational grace. It's a dispensation of grace. It's a, it's a change in the moment. Verse 4 is going to be very specific now. And we're going to see that as we go into verse 5 here, what he's going to be talking about. 
But when he talks here about this, again, the specific work of God in their midst, God is going to be doing some things within the Corinthians, and they are missing it because they are unthankful. He's working a work in them, and that work is going to be to impact some other people, and they're missing it. And the reason they're missing it is because they're not thankful. And they are, now again, some in, the mid, in their midst get it and are, not, are, and are thankful, but for the majority, they're ungrateful, and so they begin to utterly, come over to chapter 3, they utterly begin to miss it. So when Paul says, I thank God for you on your behalf, for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ, he's thanking, he's thanking God for what he's doing you guys are so messed up, you're so backwards, you're missing what's happening, and I'm just going to step in on your behalf and thank God for you. Look at chapter 3 and look at verse 10. Paul writes here, according to the grace of God which is given unto me. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. You see that thing there where he says, the grace of God which is given unto me? That's something very specific. In the verse, what is Paul going to be? The wise master builder. He's the one laying the foundation. So, by the way, that's not to you or I. Who is this given to? the Apostle Paul. So when he talks here, when, whenever you see the grace of God, you, you've got to pay attention to what's around the context because it's not just the grace of God, just like that word gospel, the good news. I hope you understand that the gospel given to Paul was much more than Christ dying for your sins and was buried and rose again the third day. That's a wonderful thing. I get it. But it's also about all this other good news about this what he's going to be doing with the church, the body of Christ, and the ages to come, what he's doing with the Gentile and, that, and the Jew. Come over to Ephesians 3. So when you read, it's, it's like that, the term, the faith. Well, the faith is not your faith. Say, the faith is the, is the word of God and, and so forth. So you've got to pay attention to that. Look here at Ephesians 3. So the grace is very specific. In, in 1 Corinthians 3, it's to Paul's apostleship. Look here in verse 7, 3, 7. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God which is given unto me by the effectual working of his power. See the gift of the grace of God? Well, what gift was given Paul? Verse 8. Unto me who am less than the least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see how it's very specific. It isn't just saying God's grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. He's talking about a dispensational issue here. Back up there in verse 2, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. Now, there's the grace and peace issue. See, So when you come back to 1 Corinthians 1, Paul isn't just talking about a generic grace issue. He's very, actually, he's talking about very, something very specific that was given to them by Jesus Christ. Now, watch verse 5, 1 5. That, okay? So, Paul's going to talk about the grace that was given to the Corinthians, and now he's going to describe it for us. And now we're going to see what the grace of God that was given to them by Jesus Christ is. That, so a continuation, we're going to amplify verse 4. That in everything you're enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift. We'll have to regulate you, regulate you to the quiet room, huh? Okay. 
we, we ought to institute the cell phone dance again. We used to have that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mockery and scorn and, you know, anything else we can think of of debauchery, you know. Okay? So, verse 7, that ye come behind in no what? In no gift. So the Corinthians, so when he says the grace of God which was given you by Jesus Christ, he's talking about the spiritual gifts, all utterance, all knowledge, the testimony of Christ, that you come behind in what? No gift. So the focus here is going to, of really of the book, the Corinthians were given the spiritual gifts, and that's the grace given to them. They didn't understand why it was given to them. They had no clue of any of it. Why? Because they are over here in carnality and immorality, and they're not thankful for it. They have no understanding. So we have a local church here that possesses the spiritual gifts, and they are as dysfunctional of a local assembly as any, because what are they doing? They're over here minding human wisdom. They're over here living in carnality and immorality. They're, over, they're not anywhere near who they are in Christ. And it gets back to that thing in verse 2 about they are sanctified. They've got this position in Christ, and they're not living in it. See? So when we get into the book here, what we're going to see is Paul is going to be driving towards He's using, he's using an angle here because just because the Corinthians are carnal and are babies doesn't mean that God isn't going, isn't, it doesn't mean that God is not able to use them. He's still going to use them. By the way, just because they are carnal doesn't mean that God is going to withdraw his work among them. And take it away. And again, that's what we always we all think that. Well, if they're not living right, they ought to lose it all. No, that's religion. That's legalism. That's the law. That's the old covenant. See, he's still going to do something through them in spite of their carnality. And that's what Paul is introducing. Sorry, I st- I'm on the last end of this cold. And it's... I dry it up, and I get to talking, and it starts to flow. You know how it goes, okay? And I got cough drops this time because Wednesday night I got the idea, so it's just going to be wiping the nose, all right? Look, if you will, here at verse 5. Again, the issue here with Paul is he's, he's driving home a point here. You guys are unthankful. I have to thank God on your behalf. And what I'm thanking God on for you on your behalf is that there's a work that he's doing to do amongst you and through you and you guys are so messed up you don't see it you don't understand it you don't understand what's going on and rather you're over here in all of this carnality so he's gonna nail the carnality and then try and get them to turn so that their state matches their standing their walk matches their position, and he's going to, it literally takes him, well, one book already, two books, three books, and a possibly a fourth book, a fourth letter to get it going, possibly a fifth. I'm sorry, there are four times that he writes, and there's maybe a fifth time. But look, if you will, at verse 5, that in everything ye are enriched by him, enriched. We're rich in Christ. They don't get it. They just think it's, it's just lip service. But then he says, in all utterance and in all knowledge. He's talking about the spiritual gifts. Now, come over to chapter 12. And again, we're not going to dive into a lot of this today because we're not in chapter 12 yet. But I just want to catch here with you. Paul takes three chapters in dealing with the spiritual gifts He deals with it in chapter 12, 13, and 14 because just as that dysfunctional assembly is unthankful, they abuse the gifts. They're very well aware that the gifts are working amongst themselves, but they're just abusing them. They're not understanding the issue with them and why they have them. They don't even know why they've got them. They just know we got them. 
we got some guys who can yabba dabba do, and we got some guys who can come over here and just boom bam do this, and we have no clue what this stuff's about. So he's going to take three chapters and he's going to, well, verse one now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. The leading denomination today in the age of grace is ignorant brethren. That's the biggest denomination. Six times Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. By the way, all six are major doctrinal issues in the church today. They are. You go look at them. And when you begin to look at them, you know what you begin to find out? That you know what? They are. He talks about, I don't want you to be ignorant about the rapture. How many people have screwed up the rapture here of late? They, some of them don't even believe in it anymore. Then he comes over here and he talks about the spiritual gifts. Then he comes over into chapter 10 in, uh, in uh, second, or no, well, here in 1 Corinthians 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not have that ye should be ignorant. And then he's going to, again, <laughs> he's going to get in some issues about lifestyle. That's what chapter 10 is about. You go over there in Romans 1, ignorant brethren. Here in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 1, Romans 11, 25. I don't want you to be ignorant. The mystery, blindness in parts happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile. How many people are ignorant of the mystery truth? And the fact that Israel has been completely set aside, interrupted. No, so, there's, so these aren't just something, go back to chapter 12. Verse 1, these aren't something we're just going to skip over, okay? When we get into these, we'll dig down in them because there's some things happening here that are very interesting. He doesn't want them to be ignorant concerning the spiritual gifts. Why? Because they're abusing them. They have no understanding of what they are, why they've got them, what they're for, or any of it. That's why in chapter 14, he's going to lay out seven rules about them, and he's going to give guidelines to them. Why? Because they're just willy-nilly doing it, and it's not, it's, it, it's not appropriate. By the way, he's also going to tell us in chapter 13 that they stop. The gifts cease, and they cease when that which is perfect knowledge and understanding comes in. What's that? The Word of God. So when the canon of Scripture is complete, guess what stops completely? All of the gift stuff, and we'll look into that when we get there. Verse 2. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Notice that. These dumb idols. I'm going to talk to you guys about the spiritual gifts. Why? Chapter 1, verse 7, that you come behind in no gift. But I need you to also understand that you guys, when you were over there in your pagan religion stuff, you were sucked away by that dumb idol, that, that idol that couldn't speak, you thought it could speak, and you got all this, and what are we doing? We're doing the same, you guys are doing the same thing that you did in your religious life because you're not understanding the grace life. You're not understanding the grace doctrine. You're back over here, over here doing the abba dabba doos again. Okay, or your father beat my father in dominoes, you know. Your father beat my father in dominoes, okay. That's, you know, I don't, you, you, does anybody understand what those guys say when they do that? No. no. So he's probably saying, we will have pizza for lunch. I don't know, you know. Okay, stop, all right. So he's going to get into it with them. Verse 3, wherefore I give you to understand. See, they don't understand. They're, they're lacking some understanding. Verse 8, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the, spirit, the gift of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And again, the gifts are there. The gifts have been given. By the way, it was one time said, if it is a gift, you do not seek it. You know what happens in modern-day Christianity? Seek your gift. Then it's not a gift. 
okay? You're just looking for something. But you begin to see here what begins to happen. When you get into the gifts, they don't, <clears throat> again, he gave them the word of knowledge. The issue of utterance is over in chapter 14. If you look in chapter 14, verse 9, So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak it into the air. See the issue of utter, utterance. So the grace of God that was bestowed upon them, given to them by Jesus Christ, is the issue here of these spiritual gifts. By the way, the issue of utterance there. That's the supernatural ability to speak in an intelligent foreign language. Okay? When you, when you, see, you hear them read up there like in verse 14.4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, and they go, see... It's gibberish, it's, you know, no, it's not. It's unknown to who? The audience. That's why one of the rules in it is down in verse 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one, what? If there's an interpreter, then it's not an unknown language. It's what? Unknown to the room. Okay? So if someone came in and spoke Portuguese, which is a form of Spanish, roughly, nobody in the room would understand them unless, unless Paul gets up and says, he said, Rick's the greatest guy since sliced bread. That a boy, Paul. Here's your 20, you know? See? But if Paul wasn't here and Rodney gets up and speaks in Portuguese, first of all, he wouldn't get up. He would keep it to himself. And that's what is verse 4. He that speaketh an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Down in verse 28, but if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. See, See there's rules here. This isn't willy-nilly, helter-skelter, just boom. And guess, but guess what? The Corinthians were doing that. See, by the way, in verse 27, you've got three or four of the rules there. If any who? Man, this is a men-only thing. Why? Because what is the goal of the gifts? I just read it back up in verse 4. It's to edify the who? The church. In the local church, whose job is it to bring the edification of the local church? It falls into the realm of, of men. It's that authority issue. That's why he'll say in verse 34, let your women keep silent in the church. Not that they can't talk and ask questions, but it's in what? It's in the gift issue of leading the group. They're to be quiet. They're to ask, they're to listen and learn and so forth. See? Then he says, verse 27, let it be by two or at the most by three. So what do we've got? Well, when there's two or three, there's the quorum that, you know, Matthew, the idea there, and then who's, who's God's involved in it. So when we get the yabba dabba going and the tongue talking going, by the way, they promoted the tongue, the gift of the tongue, the tongue, the speaking in tongues, because what did it do? It made everybody look at them. If you're in your carnality, what are you doing? Look at me. Look at me. Look up here. Don't look back there. Look up here. See? And in chapter 12, if you look over in chapter 12, verse 28, God has set some in the church. First, who? Apostles. Secondarily, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that... Now, drop down to verse, the end of verse 28, diversities of tongues. Do you see that tongues are the last one in the list? And that it, but yet, what did the Corinthians do? They promoted it to be number one. He says, the issue of the gifts in the local assembly is for the edifying of the assembly. And you know who does that? The apostles, the prophets, and the teachers. And then everything else supports that. By the way, if you come back there to 1427... Then he says, and that by course, 
Why? Because God is not the God of confusion. Verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion. If everybody's speaking in tongues, I mean everybody, women and men, what do we have? We have confusion. And that's why he'll say back up there in verse 22 and 23 that the gifts are not for the believer, they're for the unbeliever. And if the unbeliever comes in and sees confusion, he's going to think you guys are nuts. And guess what? You are. And it's right to think that. So what Paul's going to do, what Paul's doing here is he's, you guys are not understanding what the gifts are all about. So he's going to spend, I've spent more time here than I have planned on. But I, don't, I say things and then it dawns on me in my mind, I ought to look at, you know. So they're not understanding it. They're, they're not understanding what they're saying, what they're doing, or any of that. They're just babbling away. They're talking gibberish. By the way, Paul says, I've spoken tongues more than any of you, and when I listen to you, I can't even understand you. So then what? It, there's a problem here. But yet God is going, go back to chapter 1. God is, Paul is thankful on their behalf because what God is doing something with and through them, in them and through them. Verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Woo. Wow, you want to get people going now. The testimony of Christ was confirmed where? Look, read it carefully. In you, not to you. Because what happens is, is people use this verse to say the possession of the spiritual gifts is a testimony of your salvation, of your indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because you got a second giving of the Spirit, and you got all this whoop-de-doo stuff to do. And that is, Paul does not say that at all. Is Paul saying that I, to the Corinthians, or really to any of us, I know that Christ is in you because you have a gift? He's not saying that at all. He's saying, actually, he's saying just the opposite. He says it's the testimony was confirmed in you. Again, not to you. You see, the Lord is going to be confirming his testimony through the use of the Corinthians as he targets someone else. You see, come back to Acts 14. He, he's not t confirming that, folks, these guys are, Acts 14, they're saints. So what are they? They're, just, they're sanctified. They're justified. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. They're Romans 1 to, 1 to 5. They're Romans 1 to 8. They, they, they're in with the door shut, but they're just not, their behavior has impacted them so much, they're not thankful for it. And Paul says, I thank God because watch him use you turkeys down there at Corinth. Watch him do this. Now, in Acts 14, again, think about where we are at Corinth, but we'll start here in Acts 14, just real quick. Verse 1. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that, that a great multitude both of the Jews and also the Greeks believed. By the way, what did they believe? Come back up to chapter 13, verse 38. Okay, Paul's manner in, in Acts recorded by Luke is that he starts where? In the synagogue of the Jews. That is not the little flock. The little flock, the believing remnant, would never be in the synagogue. They've, Acts 7 has clearly identified that synagogue as the place of the pagans, of the unbelieving element in Israel. They, and by the way, Acts 8, they're scattered abroad. They've, they're running. But look at 13, Acts 13. Paul stands, he's preaching. Uh, it starts in verse 16, but I need you in verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. So in 14.1, when he says many Jews and Greeks believed, what were they believing? Paul's my gospel. See? All right? Because in the earthly ministry... Christ said, many are going to believe. Many was the term. Paul says all. So we've got a shift here. Go back to 14.2. 
But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Now watch verse 3. Long time, therefore, abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, Acts 14, 3, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. What was, what was the test? Notice the testimony unto the word of his grace. When the Lord reacted to the unbelief, how did he react? He granted signs and wonders to be done by Paul and the guys. And that was going to confirm what? The testimony of the word of his grace. Do you see that in verse 3? It's critical because Paul does do signs and wonders. So does Timothy, so does Titus, so do the guys. But why? Confirming the testimony of the word of his grace. Now, come over to... Acts 18, which is where we are at Corinth. So the testimony here, Paul, Paul's teach, Paul teaches his gospel to them. They get saved, and guess what? It's, it's validated through some signs and wonders. In Romans 15, he says, I did signs and wonders, and the Gentiles saw that, and they came. And he's able to, but he's, what is he doing? He's doing Romans 11 is what he's doing, 11, 11. He's provoking Israel to... Jealousy. Why? Because he's doing their stuff, <laughs> their signs. Acts 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. So where are we? We're in Corinth. Verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Where is he? At Corinth. He's in the synagogue. Verse 6. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment. And said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean, for henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. You see that? Crispus, the chief ruler, did what? Believed. That means before he didn't believe. Before Paul preached to him, he didn't believe. He's not a believer. Now he does what? Now he's a believer. And then we go get Sosthenes. But where is the church at Corinth? It's joined hard next door to what? The synagogue. So here you've got, think about what's going on here at Corinth. Here you've got the Corinthian church. They are literally next door to the synagogue. And they're doing Israel's sign gifts. And God says, I've got the testimony of Christ in you to who? Not to them, but to who? To the Jews next door. Why? I'm provoking them to jealousy because I want to see them come to, the understand, to, 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 to salvation, if you will. Come back to, to 1 Corinthians 1. So Paul, what God is doing here is he's, in 1.6, the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. He is testifying the grace of God to the Jews he, in the synagogue next door, the unbelieving element. He's using the Corinthians. Even though the Corinthians are in total carnality, he's still what? Using them. So what does Paul say? I thank God on your behalf. <laughs> I am so thankful that God is able to use you guys to do something, to accomplish something among that unbelieving Jew that sits next door. By the way, we got Crispus. We got Sosthenes, and we got a whole bunch of other of them. What'd they do? They leave the synagogue, and they move right next door into the, into the church, the body of Christ. Because the body is made up of a Jew and a Gentile. In Galatians 3, today there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female. There's neither. Why? We're all one. We're all sinners. That's what Romans 3, 9 concluded. And if you're in Christ, we're all what? One. See, 
So, by the way, you're in 1 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 9. God is what? Faithful. By whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. By whom you were what? Called into the fellow. All the fellows are in the same ship. We're all one here. So what Paul is thankful for, that I thank my God always on your behalf, for the grace of God, it has to specifically do with this issue of the spiritual gifts, but rather not just amongst the Corinthians or the church, the body of Christ, but as a form of testimony of Christ working in them to those on the outside. Now come over to chapter 14 again, because then we're going to look at this in this connection. You guys follow what Paul's doing? I hope you are, because to me, this stuff helps with the book of 1 Corinthians, because he's going to lay down these first six chapters this is his, the first six chapters are his observation of their misbehavior. And he's just, he's got a, he's like a dad with a disobedient child bent over his knee. He's not holding back. Here in the beginning he is. He's like, hey, you guys got to get, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, you know, and all that. And he's just going to go. Now in chapter 7 through the end, he's going to answer their questions, Okay. But the thing of it is, it's, it's, all, it's all corrective doctrine for that bad behavior. Now, look in chapter 14. Look at verse 21. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will, that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Paul is going to demonstrate that the reason the Corinthians possess these gifts is because God here in judgment is communicating something to the nation of Israel specifically. God is testifying something to Israel now. And he's using the sign gifts at the church there at Corinth. Now, by the way, all the other churches have these gifts. The Corinthians are the ones abusing them. The Corinthians are the, the poster child of, of, of carnality and immorality, and he's nailing them, okay? We'll get over in Ephesians, and we'll find out that they had the gifts and so forth at Ephesus and so forth. So it's not saying that the gifts were only at Corinth, but the Corinthians were so messed up, and yet look at what is God doing. He's testifying over here to Israel. And by the way, it is a judgment against the nation. In the form of, guess what? I set you aside. I've interrupted your program. I've declared your, the law of Mos, the Mosaic Covenant to be dead. And now I'm doing something. My salvation now is going over here to the Gentiles without you guys. Loser, loser, loser. Winner, winner, winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Okay? And that's what's happening. But by the way, notice verse 22. Wherefore tongues are for a sign. Not to them that believe. Now think about who's in, who is in the synagogue next door to Corinth? Unbelievers. See? So when they do the signs, they're not doing it within themselves. The apostles, prophets, and teach, pastor, teachers, evangelist stuff is for the internal ministry. But those other gifts, they're over here going to who? That unbeliever. But to them that believe not, but prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? Isn't that interesting? Who's coming from next door? The unbeliever. Come back to chapter 1. Verse 7, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. Again, what's Paul emphasizing in? That you come behind in no gift. I want you guys at Corinth to understand what God's doing in you and through you and the impact of that testimony out to the, outer, to the people around. 
you don't get it, you're misunderstand. you don't even acknowledge it because of your carnality. And I'm going to, verse 10, now I beseech you, brethren, now I beseech, now I'm going to nail you. And he starts in verse 10, okay. But here he says, I don't want you to come behind in any gift. I want you to understand what's happening. I want you to be functioning right where you're supposed to be functioning. And I want you on board right where you're supposed to be on board. I don't want you missing anything. I don't want you, I want you to have full understanding. They don't yet. Now, the end of verse 7, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the question now is, is why does he end verse 7 the way he does? Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says verse 8 about the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does Paul make this reference here? in the introduction, to the waiting for the coming, okay? Well, what we're going to find out as we go along here is that the Corinthians are going to be held accountable for their bad behavior. And what we're going to find out, come, come over to Titus chapter 2, and what we're going to find out is this reference here by Paul is to the issue of the rapture, because that's what we're waiting for the coming of, but then specifically about the judgment seat of Christ, that, that, middle, that event that happens within the details of the rapture. So he's going to make an appeal here to the coming of, again, because what are we all waiting for? Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You say, what are we waiting for? What are we looking for? We're looking for the rapture. We're looking for the, hope, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus. Guess what the Corinthians were supposed to be doing? Looking for the same thing. Guess what? They weren't. <laughs> you know what they were doing? They were doing what James says. Look over there at James. Uh, James 4. <clears throat> James chapter 4. James 4. If you look at there at verse 13, James 4:13, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. That's what they're doing. Eat, drink, and get married because tomorrow's just another day and we'll do it all over again. Verse 14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while, and then vanish away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. What was happening, James's rebuke is correct. Again, James is a reproof epistle. What were the believing, what were some of the believing remnant doing? What were the unbelieving, what was Israel doing? We can just eat and drink and go do this. We got plenty of time. And James says, oh, no, you don't. The Lord's will is you only got seven years. You ought to be over here doing what you ought to be doing because this is a short spirit. So, it's a ref so James 4 is a reference out to the tribulation. But what's their attitude? Just eat, drink, and be merry because we got plenty of time. We don't have to worry about doing any of that. And James says, oh, no. And that's what Paul's doing. Go back here to 1 Corinthians 1. What Paul's doing is he's making an appeal. By, uh, go to chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. He's going to make an appeal here to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in relation to what he is seeing, what he's, trying, what he's seeking to accomplish at Corinth. And that is to correct that bad behavior because one day there's going to be an event over here that's going to burn up all that bad behavior and I want you to have less burn and more good than bad. And, and the Corinthians, you're failing to put in the gold, silver, and precious stone. 1 Corinthians 3, he begins to talk about that, the event. Uh, you got chapter 3, just look over at, across the page at chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsel of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Boy, that's a wonderful summation verse 
of what's happening during the rapture. The rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, the shout, the voice, the, the trump of God, the dead in Christ rise, those who are alive and remain meet up. We, we meet the Lord in the air. That meeting in the air is a specific time. It's, a, it's like we have a meeting today at 9.30. <laughs> it's on the calendar. It's on the Father's calendar, though, okay? And in that, come back to chapter 3, verse 12, or verse 10, where he says, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. Now watch, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. How you build and how you let others build on your foundation, you better pay attention. Verse 12, now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones. You, you study those out, and we've done this here in the past. You go into the book of Proverbs, gold, silver, and precious stones. There sits wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and those balance out. Then you look, he says, wood, hay, and stubble. By the way, these six items you do build. Let's build more of the wood or the good of the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding than the wood, hay, and stubble. By the way, you studied all that out. And that's the religious activities of, human, of humanity, of religion. That's your effort, the energy of your flesh at work. By the way, if you're kingdom building today, it looks pretty big, doesn't it? Well, what is a pile? You guys see those, those hay fires down in the Casa Grande area? And they showed those pictures and huge piles. And what are they now? Ash. Worthless. Exactly. Why? Because what every man, verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day. There, that's chapter 4, verse 5. Shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work. Now watch, of what sort it is. What's the quality of it? Not quantity, but quality. Is it in with the sound doctrine, the good the, the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, or is it over here in the human effort, in the human, the, the religion? Which is it? By the way, who's the judge of this? The Lord is. Not you, not me. And I thank the Lord, because I'd nail every one of you. Boom. But no, he's, he's the judge, right? Okay. And you would nail me, I, you know, just because I'm nailing you. So I get it, okay? But the point is, at verse 14, if any man's work abide. So obviously there is work that will abide. Which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any, by the way, a reward. In Colossians he talks about the reward of the inheritance of the saints. You know what your reward is? Heavenly places. It's that governmental structure issue there. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Okay, now how would you lose something? What would the loss be? You're in heaven. You're with the Godhead. Well, it's that loss of that opportunity to have that reward be of the ranking. It's not really loss like we think about loss. You've got to think like God thinks. He says you had an opportunity to sit on a throne but now you didn't use that opportunity to come to some knowledge and some understanding and some wisdom, and you, you wasted the time you had to build that into your inner man, and now over here, so now you're over here as in every other name that's named. You're not going to be sad because there's no sin issue here, you know, see, because you're in your new body. You're in the new. He's, what, is he, what he does here at the judgment seat of Christ is he cleans up your inner man, he validates your level of service in the heavenly places. That's why he says, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So when you come back to Romans 1, what Paul's doing here is he's, he's telling the Corinthians, God's using you to impact some other people. He's using those gifts to do that. And just so you don't think you're going to get away with your current lifestyle... God's got a day coming, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to clean you up, okay? He's going to do that thing in Ephesians 5 where one day he'll present a glorious church having, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. 
Ephesians 5.27. But if you come back to verse 8, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8, watch Paul demonstrate how wonderful, how exceeding rich the grace of God is. Who shall also confirm you unto the end. You see, they're not losing anything. They're not losing positional truth. They're not being kicked out of the body. They're not being waylaid over here to sit over here as a subservient thing. See, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless. In spite of all the bad, nothing is going to cause God to not declare you blameless. And that's a wonderful thing because sometimes we get off in that little thing called the flesh and we get to struggling with it and we get to pitch in our little pity parties and our flesh, and you know what? God looks at you and says, knock it off, you're an adult. And you do, no, I'm not going to knock it because I want to do it my way. He goes, okay, I'll just wait for you. And he just sits there and waits for you. And then one day you run into somebody and they say, would you just shut up and grow up? You're disobeying verses here. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And then the, then the God Spirit comes back in and goes back to work. See? God is faithful, verse 9. And that's the wonderful. Again, Paul's not attacking here. He's not attacking them at all. He's going to get on them. He's appealing to the coming of the Lord with a hope to have an impact on the lifestyle of the Corinthians. That's what he's doing here. That's what chapter 3 is going to be about when we get over there. You guys are so misbehaving, and it has an impact out there in the future. So let's clean this up so you have a better future, if a better could be is the right word to use. So we need to appreciate verse 9. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Corinthians are failing, yet God is what? Faithful. Faithful to, this is the plan, you're in my Son, you're sealed, this is your identity, you're good to go, you're just misbehaving, let's clean it up. You're a carnal, you're a, you're a sinning saint. And we need to clean you up. And that's that issue. Again, there in verse 8, there who shall also confirm you. No matter how bad it is, God in his wisdom has already determined that he has decided, designed us in his son, declared us in his son to be holy, to be blameless to be without spot and wrinkle. No, and, and again, that's a liberating thought about the grace of God. The great, God's grace holds you more accountable than the law ever did. Because God's grace says free gift, it's already done for you, now what you gonna, how are you going to do, how are you going to handle it? How are you going to go live? Can you go live? Can I continue in sin that grace may abound? Yeah, you can. But what's God's attitude? No, don't do that. God forbid. See, and that's the issue here. Now, Paul, again, Paul is appealing to their positional truth so that it would impact their, their practice. Now, verse 10, we'll pick up here next time. Now, and from here on, Paul is going to, he's going to get down to business of reproving them, rebuking them dealing with some very specific issues that are going on at Corinth, not behind closed doors, out in the open. And this will be, again, will demonstrate that even though, even all of that carnality, I mean, you read chapter 5, makes your stomach turn. All that God, God isn't going, he's still using the Corinthians to accomplish his goal, his plan. And his purpose. He's still going to use them, even though they're just laid a big goose, a big stinking egg. He still uses them. And that's really, again, 
I thank God on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Okay? We did four verses. Uh Uh-oh. Don't get used to it, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and for the testimony here of the Corinthians to us that even when we get off and we get our lifestyle out of whack and out of line with who we are, that there is corrective doctrine to get us back on track so that we can have that wonderful power of godliness living and working in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.